for December 26th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 756. Structural load-bearing gingerbread. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like magical elves in a workshop making podcasts for Santa. I'm, uh, I'm like, uh, I don't know what kind of elf I am. I, I'm a, I'm a audio editing elf. I think you're, you're Sindar, I think. I think you didn't go back to the West on Valinor, but stayed in the woods. Uh, <laughs> can, can i be a, a, a drow i don't know what that is oh you're a drow that's you're totally a drow that's totally what you're a drow you serve loth the spider queen ah. you have a sun sensitivity yes are you do you ride a panther do you have two scimitars that you fight with i ride a i ride a basset hound i do have a sun sensitivity though i have a very bad sun <laughs> sensitivity <laughs> Right, I'm my, just going to call you Durzit or Durzit. My, my grandfather actually, no joke, died of melanoma, which is not something oh, you're supposed oh, to die no. from. It's supposed to you're supposed to detect it early. <laughs> but uh, yes, so we are we are a we are a pale people. Uh, the rather sorry, didn't mean to bring us down. For pale people, this is the time of year here in the northern hemisphere. I can walk Woo-hoo! outside without sunscreen on. I'm not rather. I'm here with my fellow elves, Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, the sky isn't angry. It just doesn't care. <laughs> and Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. Ho, ho, ho. I'm going to steal the, the big man's line there. Oh, giant. What, a, what a wee elf. <laughs> As you know, we record the podcast uh, a day before it releases. So you're listening to this. If it if you got it in your podcatcher, it's, it's uh, Monday, December 26th, uh, 2022. We recorded the day before. So I want to say Merry Christmas. Pete and Mark, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I hope you're, you're, uh, sitting in a food coma, uh, but not so, not so much of a coma that you can't uh, make witty, incisive, witty, incisive commentary, you know, how, how it all went. And, and, uh, if you hear outside, uh, the sound of carolers, you know, going wassailing, uh, back and forth, you know, like, uh, rioting in the streets until you give them alcohol to move on to the, to the next street, uh, the sort of thing that, you know, Christmas, the traditional meaning of Christmas. Or if you hear a scraping sound, that's us sharpening the bleeding edge of the United States of America. We, uh, we got to sharpen it once a year and we do it now on uh we do it now on christmas day no it's a we're 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 pre-taping uh because obviously we won't we'll spend christmas with our our families because the three of us all celebrate the christmas holiday and we wanted to talk about a little bit um the Christmas food that we ate. We thought that that would be a fun, uh, or I, I guess are going to eat. But by the time you listen to this, we'll have, we'll have eaten. It's not often that you get to use the future perfect tense. And when we proposed this for a, uh, when we proposed this for a topic, I thought, surely we have done this podcast already. <laughs> surely we have done something about Christmas, Christmas food. We have not. Uh, but you know, we did one about, um, Thanksgiving food, the platonic form of the Thanksgiving meal and what it says about our culture, our families and ourselves. That's episode number 491, Tarving the Kirky. 491, which you can get, uh, you can find on 
overthinking it. L- let me ask, let's do an old question of the week style question. Is there anything you're making this uh is there anything you're making this year that you are especially excited about? Is it a, you know, traditional spread? Do you do the same thing every year? Do you have a uh do you have a special uh, dish that you're making? First in the alphabet and first uh to uh, reach his hand into the basket of dinner rolls, it's Pete Fensel. <laughs> that's that's a Thanksgiving thing for me, the dinner rolls. Ah. Uh, warm and delicious. I would say that I'm bummed this year somewhat because I'm not going to visit my extended family. Uh, and this is motivated by having a relatively newborn baby and widespread respiratory illnesses all mm. over the country um, and a baby that needs to get a variety of vaccinations uh, before I think it would be comfortable getting too far away from a from a convenient hospital. If you do travel with a baby that's just a couple months old um, this holiday season, good luck. I'm not judging you. I don't know how you do it, uh, especially if you've got another kid. So, But this leaves me sad because I'm not having a bunch of the conventional, traditional stuff that I'm used to having when I see my extended family. You know, my well, my my family of origin, right? My my mom and and my sisters and and the fam back home, um, and that makes me a little choked up. But we're going to bring a small piece of that tradition to our home here, up up in the uh, the wild, wet north, um, with the uh, with with some meringues, which is a traditional Christmas cookie for my family. We make uh, we make meringue cookies with chocolate chips, sometimes with mint chocolate chips, sometimes with regular chocolate chips. I remember vividly the big old cookie jar with holly on it that said cookies with a red top um, and. Uh, and yeah, they're like, you know, on the gooey side, not those like hard meringues like you would get at a at a chain bakery, but, you know, gooey on the inside, crusty on the outside. The chocolate chips add both flavor and texture. Um, it's a great after dinner snack, a great thing to steal when you feel like you want to get away with something, which I think is an important, uh, important part of Christmas is feeling like you're getting away with something. <laughs> <laughs> huh. um, but uh, but yeah, it's um it, it, that's what I'm looking forward to. We're gonna we got the recipe from my mom, and we're gonna make them here because we can't go to Jersey to get them. Uh, and we will be sending our best wishes and FaceTimes as long as the power holds out with the storms that are coming through this weekend. A lot of my, so. you know, Peter. Yeah, a lot of my uh, favorite desserts are egg white based. You know, mm. like like marshmallow, my greatest candy food. Uh, really, you're a marshmallow fan? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah. Um, my son loves marshmallow. Does he? We, marshmallow is the reward we give him for getting across a parking lot safely, if it's ever intact. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was the reward you give him for sitting still for, uh, for what is it, like five minutes? You know what I'm talking about, right? No, you give him two marshmallows. If he can look at the marshmallow for five minutes without eating it, then he gets two marshmallows, right? right and then he's right. good at delaying gratification and, you know, will grow up to be, grow up to be no different from a kid who can't when you control for, uh, Right. Uh, the wealth of the family. But see, when we tell our son to think about nothing, if he thinks of marshmallows, he gets a hundred and fifty foot tall marshmallow man, right, that comes down the street and is and is there is the destroyer. The traveler has come. Uh, but yeah, no, <laughs> it's not just a marshmallow; it's also a squishy marshmallow. We use a sizzle word for it, like you earned a squishy marshmallow. Oh um, wow! When we picked up our Christmas tree from a place with a gra- place in a gravel pit next to a quarry uh-huh. or whatever like a sand pit that was trying was this real like an hard. illicit an illicit deal like what did you go to a christmas tree dealer who like opened their trench coat and <laughs> <laughs> like it sounds no. like <laughs> no 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 they've been tough to get they were really expensive this year christmas trees 
Uh, yeah, ours we, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it was a little. It was a little sort of. Um, I guess you would describe it as something of a nursery farm stand. I guess, which would normally be selling maybe plants, but had set up a variety of the accoutrements you would associate with a Christmas destination. So, sort of think of a big dusty parking lot on a hill with a bunch of construction equipment on it, around it, and also a bunch of Christmas trees on a couple of um, racks. And they actually had a fire pit going. And they just left out free s'mores making materials, just gratis. So you would go up and you'd make a s'more and uh, and get a Christmas tree, and then maybe we are in the giving Christmas spirit. That's that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, marshmallows. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you, man. I was just uh, riffing on Christmas marshmallows and marshmallows generally. No, it's still it's you know delightful, and I think I think meringue is a is a delightful delightful dessert as well all the egg white based desserts i'm I'm really fans of uh mark what do you what do you got going on in a in a culinary respect for this holiday um well i want to come back to the subject of cookies in just a second but just to kind of round out the uh the full christmas uh banquet spread um i will say that like our family doesn't have uh an established uh traditional menu yet um, but I'll give kind of a, a recent highlight was that we did like the full Korean Korean barbecue um, on Christmas, um, which basically is not that complicated. Actually, it, it only involves like buying pre-made sides and the pre-marinated meat from your local Korean grocery store, which is probably H Mart, um, and then finding a way to grill it, whether it's on the stovetop or on like in a, in a tabletop grill, that sort of thing, um, and just just going to town, just going nuts. Um, it is a good festive uh, uh, thing to eat. Um, this year, though, um, I don't know if this might be controversial, but uh, turkey is coming back. That's oh, right. wow. You're bringing, um, you're bringing turkey back. Right. Um, uh, you know, if, if you Google list of Christmas foods, turkey will, I believe, make the list. Um, but, of course, um, there are some who might feel like turkey is a bit played out after Thanksgiving. Um, not in this house. Yeah, more like dried not, out. Not am I right? Up top? No, oh, no, I mean, no, top. no, no. This not is if you, sh- this is not shocking if- to me, Mark. This is shocking really? to me right now. Well, I came okay, to this yes, podcast. Let's, let's do it. Let's talk about. Yeah. it. Yeah, let's do it bring it bring it jerk come on like like any good like any good hegelian we'll start with the antithesis that's where you start right no um i i was i came to this podcast prepared to talk about the poultry booth divide right and how i think of thanksgiving as a poultry holiday and christmas as a red meat holiday Mm. i guess because of my own traditions motivating it but the justification being that Thanksgiving is a harvest holiday, and due to the life cycles of poultry, there's an occasion. A lot of dishes involving poultry uh, traditionally are eaten in the autumn, uh, like chicken and dumplings, for example, because of the pre-refrigeration and climate control conditions of like when you would have chickens, right? You keep mm. chickens for eggs when you would actually be able to eat them. And a turkey, you know, it's it's a harvest festival, and so the foods of Thanksgiving are things that you eat like when, because they're available at that time. Whereas Christmas is the is a winter festival, so it's things that you save through the whole year that you eat at Christmas. So I was thinking, yeah, of course, like you know, you have the ham because you you you've salted away the pork, right? Or you like have the special piece of beef that you could save or get. Uh, that you know, a, a cow is sort of carried around for you this whole time. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised. So turkey, I know goose is a thing in the Christmas Carol, but for you, turkeys, do you prepare it differently for Christmas than you do for Thanksgiving? Is there a different turkey space in your mind 
that it occupies. I, I don't I don't prepare anything turkey wise when it comes in this house and oh. my wife does it, but her current plan is actually to just to do a straight reprise of the turkey. Wow, one, of, 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 that of is a baller one. move. Yeah, it's because it worked out well. And here's the thing, right? You know, to so it's not played out or dried out. What you gotta do, guys. We talking about spatchcocking on this podcast. I'm pretty sure we have. <laughs> but if you we have a turkey? Yes. How big is your? Wow. I mean, I mean it's, you know, it's got to be, you know, it's, it can't be that big, right? It's gotta, gotta okay. the, yeah, that's a skillet. That that skillet is the size of a paella pan meant to yeah. feed like a, no, you, you, you know, a family tray. of 12. Put it on a baking tray. Wow. Oh, so, like, so explain that, what you're talking about, because people might not know okay. about spatchcocking. Okay. The thing about that makes uh, cooking a large bird in an oven difficult is that uh, its shape and that, like, the thickness of the meat and things like that, where things cook at uneven rates. Uh, and it take, also take a very long time. So to get around this problem, you take a huge pair of very specific scissors to cut up a large bird in a very specific way that evens the whole thing out, kind of just like splays it out. Um, and uh, it just produces much more consistent cooking results for cooking a large chicken or a turkey. Um, we are we, we, we swear by it in the Lee Wong household. Um, and I recommend it to anybody who hasn't tried it and who might have been uh, um, disappointed by your holiday t- holiday poultry. Um, yeah, that's, is this not is uh, you guys don't do the don't do the spatchcock? Not with the turkey. I mean, I I do it with the, unless you want the theater of you know a, a presentation right yeah that is a notable drawback like yeah. on a on a platter that you can show people and carve sometimes you want sometimes you want that but but the the rather than a roast chicken which is you know kind of a go-to dinner for me because it's it's pretty easy um but I'll do a spatchcock. I'll I'll spatchcock the chicken, and I guess right. You still roast it, I suppose, though you roast it in like thirty thirty five minutes instead of an hour and a half. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll do it, but I've never, Mark, I've never done it with the turkey. I'm not even sure my my uh, poultry shears, um, you know, sharp and mighty though they are, would cut through the the bone of the uh, the tur- around the the turkey's backbone the way you you need to in order to do it though like imagine the stock you'd make out of that do you do you save the pieces are you guys soup guys you make the oh, yeah, yeah, save yeah, the yeah, pieces yeah. And make the soup Good. yeah oh, stock yeah. on stock on stock on stock mm. yeah. but you know what Pete uh, to go back to what you said before like the the whole poultry beef, beef divide thing I like that is uh, I'd never heard that before but of course when you laid it out there it makes perfect sense um, do do you feel like that's still an important thing to keep on in mind when we are so alienated from those sort of root cause root causes for for these traditions it's a great question i would say that um that it is useful to keep in mind seasonal cooking traditions and seasonal dishes because there are sometimes ingredients that are still seasonal even if the dish itself isn't seen as seasonal anymore. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you don't, I want to have butternut squash with my, like my wife makes a great, um, I just had it for lunch today, a, a sort of a honey mustard chicken, baked chicken dish with, uh, with Brussels sprouts, with roasted Brussels sprouts and butternut squash. Oh, and, good. oh, it's so good. Just make a big old tray of it, big old baking tray of it. And uh, just a bunch of chicken thighs, and it'll uh, it'll feed you for a whole week. And it's it's one of our autumn staples, one of our autumnal staples. I guess we're well past autumnal times now, but of course, you know, we have the luxury, right? It's we're not really constrained that much by seasonality uh, because of our you know supermarkets and global food supply chains and whatnot. 
Um, also, it's not that far into winter. It's like the first day. So so uh, autumn isn't that far gone. Uh, so so Brussels sprouts are still around, uh, even if they're, you know, no, no Brussels sprout has ever really gone to uh, to quote Star Wars. Well, yeah, right? I mean, the fact that the uh, fact that we can get everything. But I think that even more, I mean, like some some ingredients being seasonal, it, it even if they're available all year, a lot of in- seasonal ingredients just suck. other times of the year like there are six weeks when tomatoes are good and by the way the the ones you get from supermarkets are bad 52 weeks of the year but like there's six weeks when you can find a farm stand or a you know a market or something that will sell you a good a good tomato and the rest of the year like i don't even eat non-canned tomatoes i'll make some pasta sauce or something like that with you know tomatoes that were picked and canned at the the height of their freshness but like yeah that that uh the the uh, tasting a real tomato was one of the things that you know converted me to that way of eating the the you know insufferable seasonal locavore uh way of i'm i'm an uh, insufferable itarian um <laughs> you know i mean it's also a cost issue because if you're trying to save money Things that are seasonal are sometimes cheaper because they're in abundance. Yes, and and so you know you don't necessarily want to be buying blueberries all year round, you know, especially if you got babies that love berries. Kid will eat you out of berries. They'll eat you out of house and home. They'll eat a mortgage payment worth of berries in a year. Uh, that's that's not even that's not even cocktail napkin math. That is the lowest of maths. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. I think that it's interesting to think of food seasonally, also because. There can be a consonance between the semantics of the sensation. What does the warmth that you're getting from your dish feel like? And I say the semantics of the sensation because it's not like food that you eat in the summer isn't hot. You know, it's not like we just eat gazpacho and then, you know, grilling. It's interesting to think that, oh, yeah, in winter we want things that are warming like soups. But in summer we eat grilled stuff, which is right off of extreme heat. Right. So um, although you can also get things that are low and slow, you don't necessarily eat cold things in the summer exclusively, although, of course, there's ice cream and things like that. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would say that. uh, Gosh, just going back to Turkey, I I mean, if you do it once and it's great, then do it again. I mean, I I just I just I'm blown away by the courage. Yeah, but your summers, I mean, especially y'all in the Northeast, your summers are not even that hot. You know what right. I mean? It's not like you're in. It's not like you're in in Saudi Arabia or something like that. You know, and the the the, the summer days are 125 yeah, degrees. But it's the, a dry 125. <laughs> and the summer nights are you know 118 <laughs> degrees or something. And you want like a platter. You know what I mean? You want like a platter of olives or something like that. You want you know stuff that is that you want to be sort of far from a. Uh, far from a fire, you know, it's like that, that like, I don't know, just like slightly comfortably cool summer night is what I, you know, what I associate with, you know, burgers off the grill or something, mm. something like that, you know, and, and even, even the buns, you want to, you want a toasty bun, you know, you want to, mm. you want to, so it's not like you want a cool hot meat in a cool, in a cool wrapper. We're making a prime rib this, uh, Ooh. this, this Christmas, we have a rib roast uh, that we've been saving in the freezer for for a special occasion. And since we are uh, newlyweds and in our uh, in our new house, you know, together for the you know for the first the first time, we're sort of doing our own our own dinner situation. 
Was that a conscious choice to be on the beef side of that poultry beef divide? Mark, I'm going to, I'm sorry. I don't mean this. I don't mean this personally, Mark. And I think, you know, you've known, you've known this, uh, you've known me long enough to know that, uh, that I, I respect you, but I just don't respect Turkey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the food, not the country. You have a lot of I don't really The country, yes, all the way from uh, from what Suleiman the Magnificent, <laughs> right? Like, um, no, uh, no. I mean the the food. I just think I don't know. So, see, I, here's here's my insufferitarianism um, coming out again. But like, have you ever had an heirloom turkey? You know. <laughs> That's uh um that's not like a that's not a supermarket turkey that's been that's been bred to be a kind of genetic to be a genetic mutant to be kind of an Arnold Schwarzenegger turkey with like such such overdeveloped pecs pecs that these you know these birds sometimes just fall over on their you know on their spindly little legs um and uh you know then pumped pumped so full of like brine and water and stuff in the in the thing to make it like to make it plump out it's a it's a it's delicious um and you you can't really get them anywhere like i think that that conventional turkey like a lot of conventional chicken doesn't taste like anything man like that's the that's the problem i have with it and then it's really it's a difficult i mean spatchcocking helps but it's a difficult it's a difficult protein to cook you know because the the breasts and the thighs want really different treatment um you know the idea that you're gonna you're gonna do it all together, like the the relative lack of fat, like it's a it's a difficult thing as opposed to like cooking pig, like pig, you know, pig is the the most perfect culinary machine. You know, if if there is an argument for intelligent design, right? It's the it's the existence of the pig and how <laughs> how wonderful it is for for cooking and for eating. Um, that like uh, you know it's I don't know it's hard to it's hard but to Matt, cook. Have you ever eaten a pig that hasn't been bred to be this big, you know, hulking, you know, uh, you know meat space kind of, kind of extra dimensional globule of proteinification? Have you had wild boar caught fresh from the primeval forests of Thrace, Matt? Maybe one that's gored your <laughs> uncle first before you yourself have taken it down because you've been uh, blessed with uh, invulnerability because the uh, the ember that corresponds to your life force is locked away in a chest by your mother. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm trying out insufferitarianism, but I don't know if it's for me. <laughs> is this a level in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Pete? Uh, well, probably. I mean, you get a board. no. You get a when, when you sign up, Pete. You you get a free loincloth when you uh, oh. you know, and you can keep the loincloth whether you remain an insufferitarian or not. Oh, good, 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 good. Uh, so, so I, well, I guess do you, do you like game meats, Matt? Do you like venison? And, I you really like do like. I really do yeah. like game meats. I like the gamey yeah. taste of of. Uh, of game meats. And I, I, you know, I don't hunt for sport, you know, so like I you don't I, do anything for sport. N- well, yeah, you're I not mean, a sport guy, right? I, I mean, I ride the Peloton, but that's not really a sport. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a, you know, we have like a hashtag insufferitarian, uh, you know, group that, that we do. And, and uh, I don't mean you're not active, but you just, you're not out there to kill or be killed, man. 
right? No, like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I definitely, I definitely embody the the essential contradictions of the insufferitarian, which is that <laughs> like uh, we have tech jobs. <laughs> well, you also, you also taught me like Bruce Lee's calisthenic warm up. You know, you had a, a you know the be like water kind of mentality. Uh, you're very not quite a fit person. Don't get me wrong. I um, did. It was taught. It was taught by uh, Sifu Bruce Lee to uh, Jerry Potite, and then to my teacher who taught it to me. And that's uh, you know that's uh, it was pre- it was a pretty neat neat thing. Now I would do it once and fall over and exhaust. It was a, like a plyometric sequence of of uh, you know nine different movements that you do for an hour. You do for uh, uh, a minute each. Um, I, and then a two minute rest between, between rounds of that. And I could do one and I would fall over with, um, with exhaustion. And apparently when, when Bruce Lee worked his students, they would like do that for 90 minutes and then begin their actual workout. Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, I, I don't want to claim any kind of special. <laughs> They would do that ninety minutes, and then they would eat a turkey, and they, <laughs> they would kill a, a boar. Glass of nog, you know, would... Bruce Lee would just chug nog after doing his warm ups because you know it's that's why you do it. That's like, how you get shredded. That's how you get shredded you like that. Anything. The nog, exactly. you know, and the and the squishy marshmallows. <laughs> Hey, I, I want to work my way back to dessert and talk about cookies, but before we do that, we since we brought up uh, the pig. Uh, and, and pork related meats. Um, we 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 got to at least name check um, Christmas ham, right. right? Like, has that been a thing for you guys? Like, I think I remember maybe one Christmas growing up, uh, maybe a handful of Christmases growing up, ham became a thing. You know that that big hunk of crisp, uh, a big ham. You know that that slice has got the bone in the middle, right? Um, like you would expect to see you know, on in a Game of Thrones episode, that sort of thing. Do you? It's um, a national chain. Honey baked is a um, national chain, right? Honey baked ham. ham? It was a national chain. You mean like 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 some some company like owns that and like yeah. There's a na- there's a there's a brand of like ham store called Honey Baked, right? And you go and you you order the Honey Baked ham. Is that not is that just a West Coast thing? I'd always sure. assumed it was national. No, I mean, like I, there, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark. Like, I I I'm in there for your Tinder date. You pick up a ham while you're there, right? It's <laughs> never mind. Sorry, I've never been to a Honey Baked ham location. I don't know what you're talking about, but I believe you. That it is a national chain. Um, is it like the 99? Is it a place that exists everywhere and I just never go? Or like the ground round? I guess. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's find a, a let's, honey baked ham near you. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, uh, I'm looking around for, um, I'm looking around for Boston uh, honey baked hams. Oh, yes. Honey baked of Saugus. That's not uh, too far from here. Uh, honey baked of, of, of Norwood. And uh, honey baked to Framingham are the uh, are the nearest ones to you. Those are all Kate. pretty far away from each other for sure. Um, but I will say that for a little bit of context, it's on Route One in Saugus, which is less of what it was and what it's known to be than it used to be because some of the big stores have gone out of business. But Route One is a drag where a bunch of the different stores have giant statuary outside. Like, and I don't mean like I mean like. When I say statuary or sculpture, I, I'm talking about like a steakhouse with a 40 foot saguaro t- uh, cactus made out of steel outside, or like uh, an Italian restaurant with like a 30 foot leaning tower of pizza on top, and then like the big old ship on top of the Yankee Candle store. There's nothing else that's about Las Vegas about it, right? <laughs> but but it but it, there's this weird drag in uh, in Saugus, which is right by 
the honey baked ham store <laughs> where uh, where uh, maybe the honey baked ham store is a little bit down the way. But but the same the same drag uh, that, that has this sort of legendary quality of these kind of old places with big competitive sculptures but mark um, i am um, i did a. I i feel like i uh re- derailed your christmas ham oh sorry, story sorry, and sorry. i would lo- i know it's my fault and i would love to to hear more mark about the the christmas hams of your youth oh i don't have much of a story there i i just like remember them i, I think the sweetness of it was not that appealing to me um and so like it has just never been something where um in in adulthood um, I thought that, that that was something that I should try to recreate. And so I was curious if, if your families have any relationship to the, the big hunk of Christmas ham. To the ham industrial conflict. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I do the whole insufferitarian, uh, bit. Um, mm. but also it's not a bit. It's how I actually am. Uh, and, and, but, uh, you know, I, I will say that at, at Thanksgiving and or Christmas, um, I do like a, a, uh, I do like a Christmas ham and they, there is this, this store, this chain called the honey baked ham, uh, company that does a, that makes these hams kind of produces them industrially. And it's like, it's the taste of the holiday to me. Um, mm. and that's like, uh, you know, because I, we had them growing up, there's one in San Monica and it was, uh, you know, we always, or at least there was when, when I was growing up and that was like where we, um, we got like the Christmas, the Christmas food. It was just one, you know, it's just wonderful. And I would not eat it, uh, any other time of the year. Same reason as you, Mark. It's too, it's, you know, glazed. It's too sweet. It's got, you know, brown sugar caked on the outside. These are all wonderful things, but it's not what I want in a ham. I mean, as a, you know, as an insufferitarian, I want a, like a really smoky, salty ham. Um, you know, in my, in my normal experience with, with ham. Um, and, uh, yeah, but the, man, the, oh man, the Christmas ham, the, the slice of, uh, slice of beef. Now the other, I mean, have, have y'all ever done like a porchetta or another like pork, sh- like a pork roast or something, um, as a ham, uh, and uh, as a pork situation for Christmas? I sounds like so. no. That sounds delightful. Yeah, pork. I mean, just a just a pork roast, and like, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. The Christmas meal, I think, like, is built around that with like a marquee, uh, you know, a marquee protein, and then the and then the sides, um, the the you know, many many sides, which sort of vary in their specific recipes from from family to family, and that like, you know, uh, you you don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter uh, what the potatoes are. It matters that they are Aunt Ida's, you know, that, that the, the, the potatoes, whether they're mashed, baked, you know, uh, pureed, whatever. Um, it's really the fact that, you know, there's a relative that has done them, uh, you know, every year um, that, that it's extremely meaningful to you. I don't know. Is there, is there a dish like that for you guys? Pete, you said the, the meringues earlier, but there is an, is there another one that was like a Christmas specific, uh, type of dish that you, um, you know, that you recall that you just identify with the season? Yeah, there's a, my mom would make, oh gosh, I think it was London broil. I, I, I don't keep the cuts of meat straight sometimes, whether it was filet or like London broil or something. It was like, my mom was not a big beef person. And I, I've had ham for Christmas since, but my mom was also not a huge cured 
meat person generally or a huge pork person. Like we never had bacon. Uh, it wasn't really our thing. We were, we're kind of a low fat kind of uh, diet family. Um, but uh, with cheese, you know, with cheese and stuff, uh, not not deprived, not not by any means, but 80s. Right. This is <laughs> product of the 80s. Different time. But um, but I would say that there's a holiday sauce that I would sometimes have when it wasn't Christmas, sometimes have when it was Christmas that my mom would make. that was like a red wine sauce with mushrooms that would go on beef and you could put a little bit of it on the mashed potatoes a little bit. It was sort of like what we would do instead of gravy was this particular red wine sauce. And uh, I mean, I just I think of it so fondly, this this particular sauce. Um, I think the two sauces I associate with these kinds of fancy family meals are like a red wine sauce and then a uh, sort of melted butter and s- chopped scallion, I want to say, maybe chives. I think it's chives uh, on red bliss potatoes um, would be like a style, although my family loves mashed potatoes. And, and of course, with a bunch of little kids always running around, there's always somebody who wants to mash the potatoes. And uh, and then that person grows up and is forced to continue to do it because they loved it when they were little. Uh, but uh, But yeah, I mean, I would say that like mushroom sauces, are a big are a big thing for me. Um, we do nowadays our sort of new tradition with my family here is uh, is a beef Wellington, which of course heavily incorporates mushroom and also pork products. Right, it's got some cured meat in there, and it's it's sort of like a because we can kind of thing, right? Like like uh, you know my my wife is a, is a enthusiastic uh, cook and wants to challenge herself and do awesome stuff. Um, you know the old the old uh, the old um, Quote from ye who must not be named, right? Which is like you know, because uh, I, I you know I my life is my life is dope and I do dope stuff, right? Uh, like I that's why we have like uh, you know nicely cooked things, but um, but yeah, so beef Wellington is the new thing, but it's related to the old thing, which is sort of mushrooms on meat. Um, that I that I feel that way about. Does that answer your question? Is that kind of yeah, absolutely trotting those old trotting those old floorboards? It's almost the, the more stuff? it's it's almost the mushrooms right in the sauce even more than the meat that that brings it yes. around right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know how the song goes, right? When you you know it's a happy feeling nothing in the world can buy when you pass around the mushrooms and the wine reduction. <laughs> like, yep. <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> the children of Nestle's all snug in their beds with visions of mushrooms and red wine dancing in their heads. Lewis Carroll's Night Before Christmas. Right yeah, I like, the, I like the one that goes, fall on your knees, exhausted from mashing the potatoes. <laughs> oh, arms all cramped. Uh, Mark, do you, do, you have a, do you have another one that, that you want to share? A side dish, perhaps even specifically? Um. Yeah, you're kind of uh, you know hitting hitting my, my limits in terms of uh, you know regular uh, you know your Christmas menu items because I mentioned mm-hmm. before right you know we just we kind of just kept uh, uh, changing things up over the years. Um, I'm just going to take this opportunity since I have the mic just to segue back to cookies because I do have some strong thoughts about cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, Good enough for me. Which is that uh, um, maybe we kind of backed in just into this tradition. Or this is maybe this has always been a thing, but now apparently like holiday cookie swaps are a thing that my family does. Um, it's an opportunity for the, the kids to help make cookies, um, and uh, you know we, we bake a lot of them and we swap them so we have uh, a, a different types of them. 
Um, and now I find myself like utterly inundated uh, with many, many different types of homemade cookies, um, some of which are made by children or maybe not that great to eat either. So I've got kind of a new problem on my hands over here. Um, and I was wondering if you guys can relate to the cookie swap problem. Or the kind of overabundance of cookies at this too time many cookies, too yes. many cooks, too many cookies, too many cookies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have too many cookies, Matt? No, I mean not. We don't. We don't let, really bake a lot. You know, we live a we live a low carb uh, lifestyle, and I I guess I would rather I would almost always rather have ice cream than a cookie, uh, so that um, you know we don't we don't do a ton of we don't do a ton of them. But we got from the the last time we went grocery shopping, we got from the supermarket a, a box of like Christmas cookies that were sugar cookie frosted sugar cookies, and that they were particularly delicious. But we didn't. We didn't have them, but yeah, anything like Matt. any, any potluck situation, you know, you're going to end up with just endless, endless, uh, endless food, you know, of, of a particular kind. Yeah. Matt, when you, uh, got the sugar cookies, did you feel like you're getting away with something? I mean, a little bit. Every time I every time I eat a cookie, I, I feel like also I shoplifted them. So that was another, <laughs> you know, that was another aspect in which I was getting away with something. Um, something being larceny <laughs> in, that, in that in that case. Um, Mark is there. I mean, I I feel like I feel like the Christmas cookie is an iced sugar cookie. You know, and that one of the problems one of the problems is. Um, I mean, I don't know. They're not somewhat, that great. Well, yeah, a. But one of well, the problems is that, like, with the cookie swap, like, you gotta, you gotta bring the variety. You know what I mean? If everyone brings the same kind of cookies and you only receive the cookies that that you bake, that's not, that's no fun for everyone. Now, like, someone gonna is gonna tell me there's like some like German anise flavored, like, you know, Pfeffernusa or something like that. That that uh, is that you're supposed to to have at at Christmas. But man, it's like uh you know, it's an ice sugar cookie from the um from the supermarket. That's that's the Christmas cookie. Well well, okay. So I haven't done any cookie exchanges because I think I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've socialized with other adults in the past two years. Uh, my beard is very long right now. I'm not necessarily doing that great guys. Um, but at any rate, um we did do my my wife makes uh, Christmas frosted sh- uh, sugar cookies. She has a whole Tupperware full of cookie cutters of different shapes. And we've done that already. We did that last weekend. Um, and uh, uh, I think it was, the, or was the weekend before last. I think it was last weekend. And, you know, my son helped, who's two. And so he was stirring things with a whisk and and helped kind of uh, sprinkle sprinkles on top of them. And there were, there were snowmen and snowflakes and then one Tyrannosaurus Rex and one Stegosaurus, mm. which my wife didn't even know she had those cookie cutters. And I mean, they were present in, um, at, in the the first at the first Christmas. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, and what I will say is the sugar cookie is deceptive as a as a confection, I would say, uh, in that if you were to compare the sugar cookie to, say, vanilla ice cream, for example, I think that vanilla ice cream does not benefit all that much. From additional sophistication and is probably well understood, even though, yes, it's good to have the vanilla flavor or like the French vanilla flavor or whatever, all real vanilla beans as opposed to, you know, the the artificial vanilla flavors, whatever it is. It is reasonable to think of vanilla as a relatively neutral ice cream flavor, that it's accomplishing what ice cream is accomplishing. And in particular, that it has that sweetness and creaminess. That that's sort of what you're looking for in a base ice cream, not necessarily in a good vanilla, but like when you order vanilla ice cream, 
that's sort of the base of what you're looking for is the sweetness, the creaminess, the texture, all of those kind of ice creamy, desserty characteristics. And I think that sugar cookies are often thought of as the vanilla ice cream of cookies, the neutral cookie on which you would add other flavors to make other cookies. So vanilla ice cream with chocolate chips in it becomes chocolate chip ice cream. Vanilla ice cream with, you know, peanut butter cups in it becomes peanut butter cup ice cream. Unless you put peanut butter in the ice cream, you know, maybe there isn't vanilla in it at first, but if it's white, it looks like vanilla, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a mother ice cream, <laughs> conceptually, if not literally. I don't think of the sugar cookie as a mother cookie. Because I, I think that the flavor you want to go for for a sugar cookie has to be – if you're making it yourself, you want it to be a little bit more balanced than the one that you would get in the store. I think that when you buy sugar cookies in the store – and this is me being in Suffraterian here uh, – I, I wouldn't buy a sugar cookie in the store. I'd at least buy a chocolate chip cookie. I'd, I'd buy something with something on it or in it because the, you know, the, the, the bready part of the cookie is going to be sweet and not much else. And, and the texture is going to be even and not too interesting. Um, and so if you add more details to it, you get something that has more flavor, more taste, more interest. Um, you add more stuff uh, to the sort of base cookie. But I think a good sugar cookie stands on its own in much the same way that a homemade cake should stand on its own without too much crazy icing. But when you're a kid, you know, you want the crazy icing. Oh, the, you know, there's Spider-Man on it or there's roses. I want a flower. Mm. Right. Um, that kind of thing. And the, there's this idea with kind of growing into desserts. I think it might also just be an American thing about about kind of, you know, 50s and 60s culinary foods like industrial mid 20th century American food involving sugar and sugar substitutes being kind of very one note and intense in what it's trying to do and and showing off and sort of reveling in the detail of different sorts of things that you can put on it, toppings and manufacturers and colors and textures that you can add to a base. Um, and, and I think more lately, especially with the idea of people, you know, uh, investing in experience and having available to them through throw so many means, so much instruction in the crafting and skill of, of making meals and also in appreciating meals, you know, food network and whatnot is, is, a, is a big deal. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, all of the online stuff that isn't to traditional media too. Um, you should be having better sugar cookies now than you had 30 years ago. If you're American, I'm going to mm -hmm. say that right now. And if you're not, I'm not going to say you're missing out. If you're not American or like, if you're not having better sugar cookies. Well, if you're not, if you're not American, you're definitely missing out. Cause honestly, it's not that bad. It's pretty great. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what I'm thankful for this thanks Christmas, right? Like when, when we're all eating turkey. No, no, no. Um, no, no, no. I, I'm, you know, I don't want to start quoting Neil Diamond here or whatnot. Um, no, no, no. Just like if you're having sugar cookies now that you buy from the store, um, I think like, I guess you could, you're, 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 there's probably a nostalgic element to it. And that's, I guess what you just described that, that there's the feeling of what the sugar cookie meant when you were a kid and uh, and not really a desire to like really explore or be interested in the flavor of the sugar cookie. Um, I, I also think that it's different to get the store-bought sugar cookie in the store-bought shape than to make it with your own cookie cutters. Mm. Uh, we actually, we had, we've had store-bought sugar cookies with frosting multiple times this Christmas and they're great, but they just, I guess what I'm saying is it, it I'm, I was shocked at how different it was. So like we went to go see Santa. We went to this um, 
house that's sort of a historical house that's maintained by a particular conservancy group. And this, one of the ways that they fund, fundraise is they have Santa there and they collect donations uh, and you go see Santa. So you see Santa throw a couple bucks in the bucket and they have cookies and hot chocolate that are donated. And it's a great time for little kiddos. So we went to go see Santa and they had the plate of cookies and they had the sugar cookies from the store that had the frosting on them. And you try it and it's like it's that flavor, right? It's neutral. It's mm-hmm. sweet. You know, it's nothing particularly interesting. The texture is very flat. The icing is often too hard. Um, but, you know, but I say that with the experience of having it, there's a lot of fondness. There's a lot of, there's a, like a moment of joy in having that cookie because it's a Christmas cookie and it's Christmas and you just saw Santa. You know, like this is what you're supposed to do. This is what conjures the memory. This is what, you know, the shaman shamanically brings this sort of idea of, you know, post-pagan Christmas into being. Um, and we, we could all, maybe we need to put a little bit more, um, more, more Christ into Christmas rather than just, you know, cookies into Christmas. Right. Um, but if, if we're conjuring, if we're conjuring, you know, uh, uh, spirits with our store-bought sugar cookies, um, but, but it's just, it's diverged so much from the cookies we make at home, I guess is what I'm getting around to. And, uh, that, that it just, it just feels so different. And it's not like this is like super expensive stuff that we're making at home. It's, you know, flour and sugar, and stuff. It's nothing super fancy. And butter and um, butter and butter and butter and, butter yes. and, and <laughs> sugar and butter. Right. And that, right you know, right. that's actually, I mean, it's an interesting, I mean, I, I do like putting the Christ back in Christmas. That was actually the origin of donkey sauce. It was a religious observance by Guy yes, Fieri yes. because there were donkeys in the manger. You, didn't, yes. you know what I mean? Harry uh, Mary to Bethlehem, right? Was with, the don- was the donkey sauce. Right, exactly. Right. Like the, <laughs> you know, the, the, even the, the little drummer boy song, like the ox and ass kept time. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, that's why you Old have oxtail and trash can nachos, right? Uh, oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the gifts, one of the gifts of the wise, one of the gifts of the wise men. But the, um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think actually, Pete, there's, that's an interesting continuum given, you know, my bringing up this like super industrial, you know, ham like product that I used to, uh, that I loved as a child and still sort of tastes like the holiday to me. The like, the everyone make- calls me that, Matt, by the way. The, what, Thank the, you so much. A super ham- industrial ham like product. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're always a very good actor. But the, um, you know, uh, the the continuum between make it yourself and, um, you know, and and buy it from a store. There are certain, you know, there are certain things. It's not even a continuum. It's the divide. It's the the build versus buy. You know, decision for every uh, for every aspect of the, of the thing. Like you're probably not going to smoke your own ham, you know, but you, you are going to make your own Turkey. Um, the one, the one for me on which a lot of, a lot of my respect, uh, you know, a lot of my respect for the cook hinges is the cranberry sauce, but, you know, build or buy the, uh, cranberry sauce and it, cranberry sauce is so easy to make that uh, there's almost no excuse not to do it and to get um, to get what I'm familiar with from my youth, which is the cylindric wobbling cylindrical uh, blob of, of solidified cranberry jelly, I suppose that uh, jellied cranberry juices, I suppose what it, in, in which you cut into, into hockey pucks that look like the food that they fed the prisoners in that Star Trek: The Next Generation episode, where uh, they they were all kidnapped, and it turned out to be a, uh, a, a psychological experiment about authority, and that um, yeah, you know, the whole thing is uh, 
you know, the, the, the whole thing is just this, 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 oh, uh, uh, dystopian, um, the, you know, dystopian food pellet, like, uh, like thing. Now someone's going to be mad at me and like write in because they really love those. Uh, they love those cranberry things. Um, but yeah, that's men. That's that's the the build versus buy divide there in Christmas food for me for sure. But but Matt, if you're not having a um a poultry with your Christmas meal, then what does a cranberry sauce go with? Yeah, that's true. Though isn't it doesn't it isn't there a beef like beef cranberry sauce kind of thing, especially with fatty beef dishes, because the acid of the cranberry dressing is supposed to like supposed to cut through somehow. I think of the lingonberry uh, jam that comes alongside the Ikea meatballs. Sure. As, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just had never occurred to me um, the possibility of having cranberry sauce with a beef until this very, this very conversation. So I'm just kind of really yeah. a possibility here. I, I will say, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Other, I mean, other things like you think of that, like cutting function, right? Like something like particularly piquant or, or acidy or, you know, whatever, like mm-hmm. horse, horseradish sauce and beef. And I guess the, the assumption is that it's just so fatty. It's just, it's drenched. It's like a, it's like a George R. R. Martin feast, you know, like, uh, uh, just drenched in fat. Um, so that you actually need something to contrast, uh, the 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 taste, the kind of the unctuous taste of all of that fat. Mm, unctuous. I would recommend a red wine sauce. It's quite good. For you. <laughs> there <laughs> so you go. Perhaps some well, mushrooms on top. Well, yeah, because that's one of the things I wanted to really touch on here about Christmas is preserved fruits mm. and the various ways that fruits are preserved and are and are unlocked at Christmas time. Uh, and one of them is you know jams and jellies, which can go into cookies. And right. As also also into cakes, also in tarts and whatnot, and also into sauces for meats. Certainly it goes well with pork. Pork pairs well with fruit. Right. And um, and I think that there are a variety of different different sauces that you can put into play with both poultry and beef that involve uh, acid from fruit in some way. Um, one thing we haven't really touched on, probably because of who we are and what we do, but it's worth touching on is is alcohol. <laughs> Christmas alcohol, right? And um and and in particular maybe rum and mm. and sort of warm rum and mold wine drinks. Rum being of course also a sort of preserved sweetness from a fruit. Um oh, or I point. guess the beet isn't a fruit. Um, or sugar. But, um, I mean sugarcane isn't rum distilled from from sugarcane? That's my th- my my idea, right? And then I mean that's what I would I would think. Oh, okay. And then you use the rum, you use the rum like in a sauce with fruit or something like that. Yeah, or in like or in like a drink and a you know a hot toddy, you know, which you know you maybe throw a little lemon in it. Yeah. Right in a in a rum toddy. Um, I used to I've mentioned this a couple times, but I used to perform in a uh, nonprofit community theater edition of Christmas Carol at a historical. Building similar to the one that I just discussed that went to go see Santa, where it was a fundraiser for this historical house, this sort of historical preservation house. And we would do it in period dress, but in a preserved drawing room that had sort of authentic furniture and whatnot. And um, and afterward, we would serve mold wine to the guests. That was a big part of the job is that you would you would you would ladle out mold wine to people. Um, and I think you had mentioned when which we were was like this. which was grape juice with like a cinnamon stick in it, right? Like that was the that no, was the mold this, wine. This is a fundraiser. This is mold wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the tickets were not necessarily cheap, <laughs> so it was it was legit mold wine in like big punch bowls um, with spices and everything. It was definitely alcoholic. Um, I mean, I guess I mean, yes, you could do grape juice with cinnamon sticks, 
but um, the show the show did not have large audiences. It had intense ones. Uh, but yeah, it definitely had cinnamon sticks in it, and it tasted very fruity. I mean, did you? Let me ask you: this, like, is there a is there a drink you associate with Christmas? Because I feel like for most American holidays, don't really have drinks. At least in part because America has such a fraught relationship with booze, due to you know as is evidenced by prohibition and prohibition stuff. and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. what would it be? It would be like a punch, wouldn't it? Like, if if we were in Dickens' time, it would be a punch made in our in our wassailing bowl or something like that. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, so you know, I don't know, my uh, my. Um, you know, uh, Christmas drink is, uh, I think definitely is, you know, scotch whiskey and New Year's drink is, uh, scotch whiskey. And, uh, <laughs> on Martin Luther King's, uh, birthday, it's scotch whiskey and it's Valentine's Day. And whiskey. That's just Bruce Lee and, and uh, <laughs> scotch, scotch whiskey. He said, be like whiskey, my friend. When you, when you pour it into a carafe, it becomes the carafe. When you pour it into a Waterford crystal tumbler, it becomes the tumbler. Be like whiskey. My friend is if you're what? gonna pour it in Waterford, at least make it Irish whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, good, good point. I mean, the the there's uh, some great some great Irish whiskeys that are not uh, that you know that are not just Jameson or Bushmills that Protestant whiskey. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know, like a, a rum punch. No, we have a we have a national drink, Pete, and it's like it, the drink for Fourth of July is a cold can of Budweiser. Well, right, right, right. Yeah, I suppose. I just have never. Which, of course, is a German beer because the Fourth of July uh, celebrates the uh, you know achievements of all the people of German heritage in uh, in the United States or something. Uh, To be, I think it is more accurate to say that Budweiser is a Czech beer. I believe, right? Isn't the original Budweiser like Bohemian or from the Czech from Czechia? Uh, and w- which which uh, is a salute to the influence of of Czech of uh, of, of Ch- I would say Chechian culture on the Midwestern United States. This goes back to our episode where we talked about the pickle family and polka in early <laughs> in like early 19th century America. Um, but yeah, well, no, while, while someone is looking that up, I think it's fair to say that like um, cold Budweiser is about as far away from a Christmas drink. And you can, as you, the alcoholic beverages you can get, right? Now, it's not as not to alienate all beers on Christmas. I think there are many places for beers. No, you want a darker, you want a darker beer, and maybe not quite so, maybe not quite so cold, right? Like you want a, you know, a, a stout Christmas stout or something like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can work with that. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I just, I, I don't. Maybe it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely me. It's definitely not the calendar, but me that I've never found an occasion where beer feels like a natural holiday compliment to anything. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, it's not because I never drank beer. I don't, I'm not a big fan. I don't drink it often, but, um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like it has that particular resonance for me, even on St. Patrick's day. It might be, because so many of my holidays were oriented towards being a child and I never, I only now, now that I have my own kids, am I really confronting the idea of creating holidays for my own family, like for my family, like for, for me, right. As it's hard work, right? Yeah. Like, and there were so many years. Decisions. Yeah. But like there's there a lot of, there were a lot of Christmases where I didn't have kids and also didn't live with my parents, 
right? And, and, the, and at the same time, only now am I really feeling like, oh, this is what it's like to try to make Christmas happen. Mm-hmm. And so, like my relate, of course, if I were a person who drank more, I would probably need a drink, right? Like, or want a drink at the end of a uh, at the end of of a Christmas dinner, um, of a long uh, day of, of of making, yeah, exactly, making Christmas making Christmas happen for your kids. Yeah, but yeah. this is this is the time where you create the memories that you will spend the rest of your life emotionally manipulating them into trying to relive. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm already worried that my son isn't going to have enough material for his one man show because I'm, I'm being too emotionally available. He's not going to get any of the Marvel movies. I've said this. Right. This is a problem. You want to appreciate our culture because I'm too emotionally available. I need to cut myself off somehow. I need to create a barrier. I don't know how to do it. Uh, well, but, yeah. I, you you could start drinking. It can, you know, I can yeah. tell you from <laughs> family let's experience. Let's make a nice that, rum punch and get that get that party yeah, it'll, started. It'll definitely make you emotionally unavailable <laughs> to your children. When we were starting, Matt, you asked a hypothetical question. I don't know if it actually got recorded or something you said merely before, which is that you would ask us about a Christmas food we were excited for, but then you would ask us about what is the most Christmas food. Right or like the, the oh per- sorry I meant uh, to me that was the the I'm sorry I I I veered from the program to me that was the question of like is there a dish uh, from your past that you associate from your own but like oh. is that not the most but but that's that was a personal question is there a most let's close on this is there a most Christmas food in absolute terms I mean I think it's eggnog full stop uh huh and I, I think eggnog is more Christmas than you are. Uh-huh. Like that's the idea is that, is that it's, it's, more, it's more Christmas than any human being is capable. It's, of ta- it's the what is it from Blade Runner, the Tyrell Corporation, right? It's more Christmas than Christmas. <laughs> yes, yeah. like so much so that if you buy eggnog, you don't even really get eggnog, right? You just get one of the ingredients. It's like it's like if you were to go get a margarita and you just bought margarita mix and poured like. A three ounce glass of it, and that's all you drank of margaritas all year, right? It's like you didn't even mix it with anything. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got, I got, a, I tried to make eggnog from scratch once. It was kind of like a oh. custard, and it was like whipped and frothy. There were eggs, mm-hmm. there were eggs involved in cream, and you know, sugar and vanilla and things like that. And then three gallons of rum was. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, was called for, right? Like half dozen eggs, you know, a quart of cream, and then like a barrel, an oil yeah. drum full yeah. of rum. And that, that was that just been rolled off out. of a boat in Victorian England. Right, exactly. Yeah, and corked. Yeah, the bung. Yeah, the bung is is opened up, and you just like uh, stand under it, uh, you know, bathing in rum while you contemplate an egg. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess eggnog. I mean, I, I've never had a figgy pudding, um, but, uh, I think you should bring it right here. Mark, you got to vote for most Christmas food. Um, let's go with gingerbread cookies. Mm. Oh man. Oh, man. So you didn't get, to, get to talk about the whole, uh, you know, constructing of houses made of them, um, oh. which is, you know, uh, Pete literally building Christmas memories. Uh, a Christmas right. experience, building up a holiday. Um, I totally wanted to talk about the difference between pumpkin spice and gingerbread spice, and how they're so similar and yet don't aren't encountered in a similar context and aren't as experienced as similar. Even even as such that Starbucks right has the pumpkin spice for their autumnal uh, drink, but then once they get to winter, it's like you know there's the there's peppermint, 
they I think they also have a gingerbread latte or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. like you change to the minty flavor profile because your gingerbread spice and your pumpkin spice aren't going to actually taste different enough from each other. Probably because you don't have enough star anise or cardamom, <laughs> right? Or whatever, any of the other fancy stuff that you put in um, that you just rolled off the, the, the ship at the, at the docks <laughs> in order to, uh, that you did, you just sort of like reaped from your small share of what, you know, colonial largesse dictates your life. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, do you like gingerbread, Mark? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Son, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you're not because I don't want you to listen to podcasts. Um, but 10 years from now, when I list, let you listen to these um, and you're confronted with this terrible truth um, that I didn't enjoy the gingerbread houses that we made together when you were four. Um, listen, man, like this is just your old man. This, this is just this life. You'll you. This will be you someday. <laughs> Is we we talked about the sugar I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> is there a food with a bigger gap between how much how good it tastes mm. and like and like I guess how good it tastes when you actually eat it versus how good it would taste if you were to make it for the purpose of eating it than like gingerbread, mm. where it's like every we, we use this structural load bearing gingerbread for our gingerbread <laughs> houses. <laughs> It is so awful. I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, it's because it, it's too dry. But I, I, I thought Pete, the question you were going to ask was, is there a food where there's a, a bigger disparity between how much you like to to eat it as a child when you eat the, you know, all the the cookies and the frosting and all the, you know, the stuff like that, uh, versus eating it as an adult? My vote was going to be sheet cake. Is the, uh, you know, is the thing that as a kid you can't, you know, you can't gobble up enough of. But as an adult, I I can definitely pass on. uh, I will say I've been to a lot of kid, like little, little kid birthday parties. And there's a real struggle that happens because it's fairly frequent that I don't get a piece of cake. And I feel like Milton from Office Space Mm. because like we're juggling the kids. We're trying to get everything taken care of. We got to go. We got to stay. The cake usually happens around the time that the kid is melting down. So like we kind of have to leave pretty soon after the cake a lot of the time. And there have definitely been multiple parties where everybody but me has gotten some cake. Um, And if you knew me, you would and, and you saw me, you would know that I'm not the member of my family who's eaten the least cake. Uh, and, and and so like, but I can't help but feel hurt, you know, and abandoned and lost that I didn't get a cake, get a piece of cake. And then I actually have a piece of cake. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even like it. This thing I long for so much. I don't, I don't even like it. Some of them are good. Don't get me wrong. But like, man, some cakes are real bad. Uh, and, and the, the sadness of not having it is not worth it, but not something you could just delete from your operating system. It's like the, it's like the wretched, uh, the, the apostle Paul said, you know, the, what a wretched man I am. The, the, the good thing, the thing that I desire, I do not do the bad thing, the thing I do not desire. That is what I do. Who will save me from this body doomed to death? And one might add eating cake, <laughs> but we hope, uh, I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> No, it's great. Christ our Savior is born. Christ our Savior from cake is born. All right, we probably should leave it there. So, uh, you know, um, happy uh, Hanukkah is still ongoing. So uh, happy Hanukkah if uh, to those who celebrate and Merry Christmas to those who celebrate that. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Sufkin, your podcast starts now. 
We got to cover up. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Annika food. <laughs> Annika food is like legit. Yeah. Annika yeah. food is real good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it doesn't have any of these problems we've been talking no, about. No. Yeah. There is yeah. definitely a strength <laughs> to having specific foods associated associated with your holiday, and then and kind of looking forward to them, looking forward to them all year, rather than it being like a family by family sort of thing. But that's all the time we have. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, bon appetit, everybody. Dig in uh, over these holidays and please enjoy yourself. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast till then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve deserve.